There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sports. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Here's Tom Urquhart. Indeed it is. It is The Grill with you through until 9 o'clock this evening, 6 to 9 every Saturday. Do join us on The Grill live from Barasti where the game is always on. If you are in the vicinity, do come and join us down here at Barasti. If you can't make it, do send us your thoughts. You can text us on 4001. Have your say. Hashtag The Grill at Barasti Beach at Dubai I 1038FM at Dubai I Sports. What do we have for you? Well, lives in the Championship and the Premier League and La Liga as we speak. Leicester against Chelsea is on, on the big screen down here with the brand new Barasti Fan Zone entertaining their first guest down there in front of the big scheme. More details of that one for you a little later on. Six games in the Premier League kicking off at seven o'clock and then your late one. Well, it's an intriguing fixture. Man United against Wolves is the late kickoff. Five games up in Scotland, nine games in the Championship, including uh, plus that one that's underway as we speak at the moment. Four in Spain. Uh, we've got the Madrid derby kicking off at seven o'clock as well. Uh, Bundesliga off in half an hour. Bayern at Mainz this afternoon. So we'll have details for that one for you. Uh, three games in Italy. Action from France. PSG have got the early kickoff down there. And three games in the AGL closer to home right here in the UAE. We'll have live updates from several of the commentators taking task with those games this afternoon. That ain't all as well. We've got talkers, we've got transfers, we've got tributes. Australian Open tennis finals. Well, the women's have been completed. We'll look ahead to the men's. We'll also have all the latest from the Under-19 ICC Cricket World Cup. We'll start, uh, we'll get to be all over the start of the six nations over in the Northern Hemisphere. Super Rugby and Super League is also starting brand new seasons with all sorts of talking points on both of those. There's golf down in Saudi Arabia, lives with Robbie Greenfield between now uh, and seven o'clock. Kobe Bryant tributes continue to pour in in the world of sport. Expect more as well throughout the course of the next few days. Uh, Lakers played earlier on today. We'll have more big details on that. And there is the small, small, small affair of a Super Bowl to build up to tomorrow. I think it's fair to say we've got our work cut out. This is The Grill. We are live from Brasti where the game is always on. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye app. Going to be a busy one, that's for sure, and that's why we need your thoughts, your opinions. Uh, please do join the conversation. Hashtag The Grill at Barasti Beach at Dubai I1038 FM at Dubai I Sport. Just to let you know that Barasti have launched a brand new Premier League fan zone down here uh, at Barasti. You can't miss it. It's bang in front of the big screen. There are all sorts of soft uh, furnishings for you to take advantage of. Uh, the flags of all of the Premier League clubs uh, are being adorned around this area. And it is, of course, sponsored by a very well-known brand in the world of sport and football. Uh, Beer King uh, with the brand new uh, Barasti Fan Zone. And in fact, if you are coming down for the Spurs against Man City game tomorrow, you stand the chance of winning some pretty special prizes as well. Spurs Vence Man City will be uh, one of the feature games this week 
for the Barasti Fan Zone to be part of those or to get your hands on those prizes you need to be part of the Fan Zone so come and watch that game tomorrow in the meantime though we turn our attention to all things sport and thankfully I don't have to do it alone I've got an all-star team alongside me at the moment uh, Messrs Danny Norton and Matt Fortune Fortune and Norton sounds like a posh department store but in fact they are leaders in the world of sporting broadcast right here in the region Danny to start with you because already talking points for us on the big screen. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So we're watching Leicester against Chelsea. This is, of course, the early kickoff in the Premier League. 76 minutes gone. Leicester 2, Chelsea 2. I should be telling you right now about Leicester taking the lead. They just had a corner whipped in. It's uh, it's it was Evans meeting the ball right basically on the penalty spot he's got a clear header and he somehow puts it high and wide chance to give uh, the Foxes a little, another lead once again in this game but it's been a back and forth battle here at uh, the King Power Stadium and I uh, wouldn't be surprised to see if we do see a winner between now and the end Matt Fortune also alongside us as well Matt uh, there were talking points even before the game started there were indeed Tom thanks very much uh, yeah the, the narrative alert comes in the form of Chelsea's goal goalkeeper earlier last week they were uh, Kepa Arizabeginimine yep Kepa, on. On. let's go with Kepa or as he's also known the world's most expensive goalkeeper he after what has proved to be not a particularly profitable season for Chelsea having let in at least 50% of the shots on his goal including those two against my beloved Arsenal a couple of weeks ago he was dropped for the FA Cup did not retain his place for this league game up at the King Power Stadium and what's happened his replacement Willie Caballero has been responsible for Leicester's second goal from which they took the league so it'll be interesting to see what Frank Lampard does with that if as we expect there will be a winner and it falls to the home side uh, Danny were you expecting these we will talk of course a lot about the transfers and the transfer deadlines that came to a conclusion at midnight UK time GMT last night although for some reason there were a couple of deals after the deadline I never really get that one anyway but uh, it, it, were you surprised that both the two teams we're watching at the moment didn't do a huge amount of business uh, not necessarily no I mean the only thing I suppose with Chelsea was the idea of them maybe kind of moving on Olivier Giroud bringing in a striker to, to back up for Tammy Abraham but I'm not necessarily surprised I think we've seen over the last few January transfer windows kind of less and less big deals yeah. taking place it feels like a far you know we're, we're very far away from you know the days where Liverpool Liverpool would kind of sell, you know, Fernando Torres, then bring in Andy Carroll and, and Luis Suarez at the same time, and you know these kind of mega money moves. I think it's a lot of it's kind of down to just the summer and maybe teams taking their time a little bit. Some teams more than others, of course. Obviously, we saw the likes of Manchester United maybe panicking a little bit with kind of late moves, you know, kind of going for a couple of low moves that didn't work out, eventually getting in, you know, uh, Odeon Igalu. Oh. And oh. oh, just we watch again oh. Leicester with yet another opportunity that goes and miss there. I'm telling you, there the will be a goal between now and uh, and 90 minutes. We've got about another 10 minutes to play if it continues like this. It's been a wide open uh, game, obviously the four goals so far. But yeah, not necessarily all that surprised that neither of these sides decided to uh, to bring in any new players. I think Frank Lampard's kind of got a bit of a different uh, take there, hasn't he, uh, from what Chelsea have had in past few years, trying to bring in some of the, the younger players. I'd imagine that they will try and make a few big moves for some big-name players in the summer, especially if they end up getting the Champions League. Granada have beaten Espanyol in the early kickoff 
in the Spanish La Liga. Granada taking all three points down there against Espanyol. Goals for Darwin uh, Maches and Carlos Fernandez on 38 and 46 respectively. Uh, Espanyol replying with a penalty uh, on 27. It wasn't to be for Espanyol, so Granada taking the plaudits there. There is a game underway in the Championship at the moment. Um, it is a fascinating game as well. I know we've talked a lot about Brentford throughout the course of this season so far. They're continuing their good form. But the reasons we can talk about this uh, for, 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 for a bit is, of course, their opponents are Hull. And I've just been reading a lot of the notes from this match, a lot of the people that are watching it and the online updates, etc. And a lot of the commentators are saying it is the weirdest atmosphere they've ever seen. Basically because Hull, Seoul, their two star strikers, at the 11th hour in the transfer window last night. Can you imagine being a Hull fan turning oh. up for this game today? I mean, I mean, they're not fans of their ownership there anyway. They've obviously had their issues down the years there and the mood's not going to be getting any better now because they're losing 4-1 at home uh, to Brentford. Obviously, Brentford are uh, uh, you know, are doing quite well so far um, this season in the, uh, in, in the league and that, but you'd expect them to, you know, expect Hull City to be putting up a much better fight, but it certainly sounds like a strange atmosphere there. 4-1 down, uh, 15 minutes to go. I mean, Hull, they've not been in the best run of form. They've lost the last three on the bounce. They're kind of right stuck in the middle of the championship table at this moment in time. And the only way it's down by the looks of it so far, unfortunately. Certainly, certainly by the business they seem to be doing last night, bringing in uh, a defensive midfielder on loan to the end of the season, selling your two key strikers, the two men who've scored 60% of your goals all season. And this is often the problem in the championship, Tom, it's goals. And I think we see when teams do come up to the Premier League, if you don't invest properly in your strikers, that's where you can lead to problems I think you look at teams like Aston Villa who came up from the championship spending on a player that probably wasn't up to scratch for this level it's so so important down there and you look at Hull like Danny says they're six points off the drop and you see teams what did they go down last year it was last year the season before Hull mm. City it's so so difficult to manage your club when you're trying to move finances around but the last thing you need to be doing going into the last four months of the season is been off your two goal getters uh, now there are three games ongoing right here in the Arabian Gulf League at the moment late one is Alain against Al Wassel, a big clash to look forward to. In fact, we'll talk to uh, Pedro Carrera, the commentator, for that one in around about an hour's time. In the meantime, though, we can cross over to our head of sport, uh, Mr. Chris McCarty, who's live on the line for us, I believe, from the Al Nasser Ajman game. Is that right, Chris, or I got that completely it wrong? It is correct. No, you're absolutely spot on. Good, good evening, as it is now. Morning, it's past six. I am at the Al Stadium. It is Al Nasser against Ajman, and I can tell you, Tom, a bit of a turn up for the books this one. It's on answer now. Ajman, who came into this one today with just one win in their last 15, and yet they lead by a goal to nil. And let me tell you as well, you will not see a better goal in the Arabian Gulf League all weekend long. A 25-yard left-footed volley, an absolute stunner, so it was. Um, plenty going on in the Arabian Gulf League uh, today and, of course, tomorrow as well. And interesting as well, well, we got to the second half of the Arabian Gulf League season and some of the, 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 the less esteemed teams are pulling a couple of surprises on some of the bigger teams. Is this just a couple of the bigger teams taking their eye off the ball mid-season? Yeah, a little, Tom. I mean, I'll master, uh, I've been up here a few times this season. They were beaten. I was down here on Thursday evening. Last Thursday evening, saw them lose here to Banias by a goal to nil. Uh, and Banias were in shocking form themselves. I think they came into that one with just one win in nine. Al Nasser having a little bit of a hangover 
Of course, they won that League Cup, beating Shabab Al-Akhli a fortnight ago. So, nice little bit of silverware for the Blue Wave this season. But, yeah, I think you look at the table, it's it's as you'd expect. You see Shabab Al-Akhli, eight points clear. Rodolfo Arubarena, who regular listeners who follow Spanish football will know here they are left back. That's a decade or so ago now. He's done wonderfully well. He won the two cups with Shabab Al-Akhli last season. He's doing wonders here now as well. And, you know, listen, I think they will go on and win the league. They're eight points clear. They're 11 clear of the likes of Alain, Al Nasser as well. Al Jazeera it is who are in second. So the, the lesser lights, yeah, they'll have their days. They'll have their weekends where they, they, they do shock the bigger guns. But over the piece, over the 26-game season, Tom, the bigger clubs, your Al Jazeera, your Alain, your Shabab Al-Akhlis, normally class does prevail in this league. Chris, I want to ask you, taking issues away from the field, I know that there's a big effort from the AGL this season to generate a bit more in-the-ground atmosphere, a bit more from expats who might want to go and check out some live entertainment. Can you tell us what it's like? I've had the fortune to be down at that Al Maktoum Stadium for the local derby against Al Wassel earlier in the season. It is quite an atmosphere down there when it gets going. What's it like today and what's it been like for you over the course of the season? I'm not going to lie, Matt. It's not good today. It really isn't good today. There isn't a lot of fans here at all. Um, it was at the start of the season really good. This time around, looking out there, it's probably less than 500, truth be told. That's a shame. Good. What, what do you, I mean, you touched on it there. We're not going to see a better goal all weekend than what you've seen there tonight. Is there anything that you think the AGL could possibly do to look to get more fans in there? Because it's certainly not a lack of quality, some of the players that they do show up there. Everything's been done already, Matt. We've given away the Ferraris. All of the kind of Again, I see the gimmicky things have been done. We are doing, and at least the media are doing their bit, but you can't, what is it to say, you can bring a donkey to water, you can't make it drink, and I don't, want, I don't mean that disrespectfully at all, but I look at the problems here, and it goes a lot deeper. In order to get fans, thousands of fans, to, to buy into this football league, it needs to come down to getting youth at the grassroots level, playing for clubs, and it's a 10, 15-year project, because overnight, simply put, the league is not, it's not in a position to be attracting thousands upon thousands on a regular basis, week after week. Ashman leading Al Nasser, that's the game that Chris McCarty's got there. I can tell you that Vani Asa leading Al Dafra in the other game. Alain against Al Wassel is the late kickoff in the Arabian Gulf League. At AG League, uh, hashtag our game is on if you want to follow any of the developments. And of course, Chris McCarty, part of the English commentary team at the moment. Chris, just before I let you go, because I know second half about to start, got to ask your 30 seconds penis worth on uh, Manchester United. Uh, activity in the transfer window, happy or miserable? Happy, Tom, I would say Bruno Fernandes is a good signing, good age as well, 25 years, a captain, a leader of Sporting Lisbon, a man who scores goals, get assists, I think he's an improvement on what Man United currently have. The one, uh, Odia Nagalo is a bit of an odd one, 30 years of age, I guess, and listen, we are being vilified, or at least Man United are a bit of a laughing stock today with the fact that a deal was done for a striker who is 30, he's on loan, he's played for the greatest of respects, Watford, for goodness sake. But he did score goals for Watford, and it's a short-term solution. United have had their injury problems. They didn't want to purchase, they didn't want to spend big money on Edison Cavani or spend big money on a striker that they haven't been following. So it makes sense a little bit. They've brought him in. It's a six-month loan. It's my understanding that it's not going to be turned into a permanent deal. He will head back to China come the end of the campaign. He's a Man United fan. He knows the league. So... 
listen, if he scores five to eight goals between now and the end of the season, it will be a bit of business well done. I think Bruno Fernandes, though, is a good signing. And I think over the piece, give him six months to settle in. And I think he is a wonderful acquisition, not only for Man United, but for the Premier League moving forward as well. We'll hopefully see you down here to see Bruno Fernandes make his debut for Man U a little later on. That's what we expect. Uh, let's get back to second half, though. Chris McCarty, thank you very much indeed for your time. Chris is covering Al Nasser against Ajman at the moment in the Arabian Gulf League. If you would like updates on that, uh, at AG League, hashtag our game is on. Or, of course, uh, Chris's uh, social media pages as well. He's giving you live updates on those throughout. Chris, part of the English commentary team uh, throughout the season for the Arabian Gulf League as the AGL that commitment to both Arabic and English commentary for every single game, both in the Cup and, of course, the league throughout the season. We are going to take a short break. When we come back, we're off to Saudi Arabia. Unbelievable goal! This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. We're talking of game on. Let's uh, give you a score update. Uh, my man Danny Norton is keeping an eye on the football alongside Matt Fortune. Danny, do you want to do the Premier League for us? I certainly will, yes. And it's Leicester 2, Chelsea 2. Five minutes added on time into the first minute of stoppage time here. I did promise about, uh, about 10 minutes ago there would be a winner in this one. So I've got about four minutes uh, to avoid a commentator's curse. But there have been opportunities, none better than that which fell uh, to Ashley Barnes uh, just a few moments ago. He was uh, played through by a beautifully weighted pass by Jim. Jamie Ford by Jamie uh, uh, Vardy. Uh, he only had uh, Caballero to beat, but he put it wide. Chelsea clinging on. Chelsea started the better in this match, but all over the Foxes' early doors. But it's been Leicester who've taken charge, especially in these final few moments. Both teams still after this winner, but it remains Leicester two, Chelsea two. What's happening in the Championship? Matt Fortune can tell us. Yeah, up at Hull City, Tom. We touched on the awkward atmosphere that it would have been up there. Yeah. At, I wanted to call it the Gal Farm, but I know it's not been called that for a long time. But uh, <laughs> up in Hull as it were as you said they sold both of their strikers on deadline day yesterday they have scored one today via the help of David Rea an own goal from Brentford but on the other side there's five goals for the Bees Syed Berarama has grabbed his hat-trick to be honest Hull City the Tigers have folded after the break they went in 2-1 down but Ollie Watkins scored after an hour and then Benarahama has grabbed two in the 62nd and 85th minute so with about two minutes to go it's Hull City 1 Brentford 5 OK, let's talk golf now because we have got uh, a fascinating development uh, in golf here in the region in recent times. Saudi International is back now in its second year after a successful um, uh, debut last year and it's attracted yet big more names. You're going to see some unbelievable golf. I mean, the golf course was great last year. It's even better this year. The, the field was good last year. It's even better this year. From golf, entertainment, the, the whole setup is going to be an event to be witnessed and I think anyone that comes out is going to have a phenomenal time. It's a great addition to, to be in the same region, three weeks, three very strong fields and obviously next week, very new golf course, it takes a little bit of time to settle in. It was a good test last year, I played nicely and obviously looking forward to um, you know going a few, few spots better. It's great that Saudi is opening up so much now and you know having golf tournaments there and other stuff happening. Last year, I remember there was a concert as well for, for the players and for the public. You know, it's great that they're having a tournament there and hopefully this event grows from strength to strength in the future. Having four of the top five players show up last year was an amazing thing to, to happen. This year, I think we're looking for the course to be a little tougher, give the players a little more challenge. The field is amazing. I can't wait for it. 
Saudi was fantastic. The golf course was really nice, obviously very new. Hotels and everything are fantastic. New, beautiful, beautiful country. Um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Some of the crazy plans for golf in Saudi Arabia are going to be a sight to see. Hoping everyone can come out, support the tournament and the players. It's not very often where you get the best players in the world to come out to your country to get to experience your golf and your hospitality. Played Saudi last year. Good track, decent, tough test. So, no, looking forward to, to competing there. And I'd love to see some good competition between the players. Last year, between Hao Tong Lee and Dustin Johnson, it, the, it was an amazing finish. I mean, the last three holes were truly spectacular. All of us come to watch golf, to watch the best. For us to actually have the best is some of the most amazing thing. We are privileged to have these guys actually be part of our event. Well, it's attracted some of the best yet again, not just uh, on the course, but also off the course. Some of the best commentators down there, including our very own Robbie Greenfield, who joins us live now on the line. Uh, Robbie, it's been given a big billing again this year as it was last year. Is it living up to expectations? Yes, hello, Tom. It certainly is. And this is my first trip out to attend the tournament. And I've got to say, I'm a little bit blown away by, by what I'm witnessing here on the, the banks of the Red Sea. It's just about an hour north of Jeddah, King Abdullah Economic City. It's the Saudi International. And it's an amazing, amazing, it's a lot of things that they've done. They've put on a tournament which... Where they're, where they're reaching out to, to individuals, to people who, who don't even know what golf is. They've not experienced golf before. This is a completely new market for golf. So there's a lot of activations. There's a lot of introduction, introductory facilities to try and get the kids involved in the game. And they're putting on concerts, a little bit like the, the Formula One do in Abu Dhabi. They're, they're putting an entertainment sort of structure around the tournament, which, which is attracting huge crowds. I have to say it, and I... And I hate to admit this, I was uh, I was enjoying Brian Adams last night, 60 years young, and uh, I, I was realising how many... Right, get off, how many get of off, get songs, off, get off, right, it's over, it's done, get off. How many of his songs I know off by heart, which is a worrying admission, but uh, I'm going to make it nonetheless on Dubai 103.8. I pretty much, about five or six of them, I was belting out with Brian, just not in tune, unfortunately. But it was a fantastic concert, about 6,000 people turned up. And we've got an, an interesting and intriguing tournament brewing. Guys, I'm sure you've had a look at the leaderboard. Two of the forgotten men in golf are duking it out at the top of this leaderboard. Absolutely. Obviously, Graham McDowell is the overnight leader going into the final day. And he's going to be partnered up as well with a man he knows very well. I believe uh, he was uh, paired with him in the 2014 Ryder Cup. It is, of course, Victor Dubuisson. And, yeah, how has uh, Graham McDowell played? He's someone I know you've played with before as well, actually, over in Ireland uh, when we were over for the Dubai Duty Free Irish Open. But like you mentioned, a surprise name at the top of the leaderboard. Massively, Danny. Yeah, I mean, he's dropped outside the world's top 100, has Graham McDowell. And if you look at his stats, if you look at his results and his victories on the European Tour, he's not won a European Tour event since 2014. That Ryder Cup that you alluded to at Glen Eagles, where he formed a great partnership with Victor de Buisson, his other rival, his playing partner in the final group tomorrow, he hasn't won in six years. And it just goes to show, I mean, Victor de Buisson came dead last at the Amiga Dubai Desert Classic. He shot 81, nine over par and 75 to miss the cut by an absolute country mile. And look at him now. He's 11 under par. He's played flawlessly on this. I mean, golf is really a head-scratching game at times. But Victor de Buisson, who couldn't even hit it on the golf course last week, made five birdies and no drop shots in a round of 65 here. Tough course. This is windy. It's quite tight in places. It's quite difficult. It demands a lot of accuracy. The greens are, are pretty firm, and, and, and you need to be very accurate with your approach shots to do well here. And suddenly, out of nowhere, Victor de Buisson, who you might remember him, we, all, we always call him Mercurial on our show. He is the Mercurial postman. 
he was last seen winning in 2015, the Turkish Airlines Open. He's a two-time European Tour winner, and this is completely out of the blue. This is a guy who is in danger of slipping not just outside the world's top 100, but outside the world's top 500. And this is a guy that finished back in 2014 in the top five on the race to Dubai. So yet another of sort of golf's famous fall from graces. And yet he's been given this chance to, to bag an, an extraordinary win tomorrow at the Saudi International. Clear something up for you, if you can, uh, Robbie, because I was reading online with a couple of the updates as well. So GMAC obviously uh, booming it at the moment. However, uh, not without incident as well. He was called for slow play, if I'm not mistaken, but slow play for giving a media interview mid-round. I mean, when does that ever happen? Yeah, that's... Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know the full details on that one, Tom, but if that is the case... Then so it wasn't the you, then? Officials we can, we can rule Robbie Greenfield out first and foremost, yeah? Yeah, well, absolutely. It wasn't me. I wasn't chasing him around the golf course, no way. But uh, I was still trying to recover from Brian Adams, truth be told. But, uh, <laughs> yes, Graham McDowell, media interviews, they've, they've become... They've crept into the European Tour. It's part of the broadcast now. So if you're penalising a player for stopping to chat to a, to a Tim Barter from Sky Sports where they're contractually obliged to give these interviews, then I think something's wrong there. There's been a miscommunication there of some sort. But, yeah, slow play's been an issue. We had uh, a lot of discussion about it last season. Bryson DeChambeau, who's not here this week, he was competing in, in Abu Dhabi and Dubai, was Bryson. He's often held up as someone who is, is a little slow, uh, takes his time to, to get round the course. And as we saw with Sebastian Soderbergh's round in 95 minutes last week in Dubai, where he effectively ran round and set a European Tour record. Golf doesn't need to be a slow game. Robbie, you touched on it when you first came on about the, the efforts being made by Saudi to create more of an event away from just the sport of golf. We were in, uh, Chris and I were in, uh, in, in Riyadh for the boxing in December, but that was a venue that was built and torn down pretty much immediately afterwards. Is there a legacy element that maybe you're witnessing with the golf? Because, of course, it's back again, so it's the second iteration of it. Are they looking at making this a more regular thing, and are they making efforts to, to like I say, put a legacy involved rather than just to throw money at a one-off event? Well, they are. Yeah, they are, Matt, because uh, as luck would have it, um, His Excellency Yasser Al-Ramayan, who is chairman of the Saudi Public Investment Fund, he's also chairman of Aramco, he is a massive golfer. He's chairman of the Saudi Golf Federation. And they've got, as part of the whole Saudi Vision 2030, they've got massive plans to develop golf. It's not just about this tournament. This tournament is one part of a, of a bigger plan. Uh, to, to bring in the likes of Top Golf to build courses out here. They're going to build nine-hole courses. They're going to build municipal courses. They're going to do things a little differently to how they evolved in the UAE with, with a lot of sort of top-quality kind of five-star luxury-style golf courses, but not much in the way of municipality courses, which are an important kind of rung. I mean, let's be honest. If, if you're just starting out, you don't really want to go and play a championship course. You're not going to enjoy it. You want to go and play somewhere that is a little more open, it's a little bit more kind of friendly and accessible and, and easy for you to sort of pick up the game and kind of go from there. So there's huge plans. 13 courses in the next nine years will open in the country, which is quite amazing, really, when you think about it. And they've already got this tournament as kind of a, the, the fulcrum, kind of the, the, the sort of marquee act. But I think definitely, as you point out, a legacy is important. They want to encourage kids to, to take up the game. And they're not just going to do that by having this tournament. They need to put a lot into the grassroots. They need to do a lot with academies. They need to do a lot with development. They need to do a lot in schools. You know, it's, it's much more difficult. As we've seen in the UAE, it's not, it's not just about having the big tournaments, the big events. And yeah, I think golf's a little bit different. I know boxing has become a, a big thing out here. They're talking about the potential if Anthony Joshua and, and Tyson Fury ever fight, that it might be held out here. I know Eddie Hearn was 
was saying that. Um, lots of other big tournaments. I think there's talk of F1 as well. So uh, it's, it's clear that Saudi has big plans for sport, but I think very much so when it comes to golf. So Graham McDowell goes into the final round with a one-shot lead over Victor de Buisson. Uh, McDowell at 12 under, Victor de Buisson at uh, 11 under. Are we assuming that the winners will be either GMAC or V-Dub? Absolutely not, Tom. Never assume anything when it comes to golf. It could easily, and if we look at uh, the last group last week in Dubai, it was Ashton Wu and Victor Perez who teed off in the last pairing, and they had a pretty good advantage over the rest of the field. They finished quite significantly down in the end, and it was, of course, Lucas um, Lucas Herbert taking on Christian Poseidon-Hote in a playoff. I mean, Nostradamus times 10 wouldn't have predicted that one. So, uh, who knows? Anything can happen when it comes to golf. That's the beauty of it. Victor Perez is, is there or thereabouts as well. He had a bit of a tough day today. He, he actually led overnight, but he's uh, seven under is the Frenchman. So, he's five shots back. The uh, Malaysian Gavin Green, who's yet to win on the European Tour, is three shots behind on nine under par. And then lurking, the two names that I'm interested in, there's three actually, all heralding from the US of A. It's Dustin Gunson, of course, the defending champion, who's got previous when it comes to this tournament. He won here impressively this time last year. Phil Mickelson, great to see Lefty playing well. And uh, he has and has had an incredibly eventful tournament thus far. In his first round, he went out in 37. He came back in 29. He made nine birdies on his back nine. Quite extraordinary stuff uh, to shoot a first round 66. And he's there or thereabouts, is, is Philly Mick. Six under par alongside the world number one, Brooks Kepka. So with that kind of firepower lurking in the pack, you just do not know what's going to happen tomorrow afternoon. Enjoy your pomegranate this evening. Enjoy the journey back as well. Robbie G, we'll see you when you get back to Dubai and enjoy the golf. Well, thanks to Robbie Greenfield for joining us live down there uh, from Saudi Arabia. The Saudi international final round uh, will be concluded tomorrow. Just uh, on a, a little footnote, a footnote to that. I mean, you've been down there to watch yeah. boxing match. Cycling down in Saudi at the moment? Yeah, or? it's actually kick, kicking off in a couple of days, Tom. The inaugural Saudi tour. I say inaugural. It's the first time they're calling it this Saudi tour. It's actually been 17 years since there was a professional road race out there and then it was not on the scale that they're they're offering this time around over the next five days there's 755 kilometers of racing all based out of the capital Riyadh anyone who's interested in their cycling would note that it's Mark Cavendish's season opener we're also expecting him in the UAE later this month I think that kicks off in about three weeks time but it does show and it was it was the reason I asked Robbie the question that I did I'm curious to know which of the sports Saudi is really going to nail their colors to the mast on because it's all very well throwing big money at Mark Cavendish and his team to get him to Riyadh if they're only going to one, run one Saudi tour. Same for throwing money at Anthony Joshua. There needs to be a legacy point if they really want to kick on and make an impact. That's what Dubai has done so well, is that they build it and they will come, but they make sure they build it and they grow on it. So I'm curious to see what will happen with this Saudi tour. Cycling fans will be interested in it. They have got a big name in the shape of Mark Cavendish, but how they develop it will be really interesting. Interesting you mention that because obviously UAE tour, we're not that far away. 23rd to see the start mm. of the UAE tour going across all seven Emirates now. Uh, very quickly has established itself as the go-to race here in the Middle East at the moment, attracting some big-name uh, stars as well. None more so than uh, Chris Froome, who confirmed earlier on this week that he will be starting his brand-new season back from injury here in Dubai. Hey, everyone. Training's been going really well over here in Gran Canaria, so I'm really happy to announce that I'm going to be starting my season at the UAE Tour next month, starting in Dubai. It's a, it's a race I missed out on last year. So, great place for me to start my season this time around. Thanks for all the support and see you out on the road. Cheers. Unbelievable goal! This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. 
Uh, so, uh, not only are we focusing on all things football, we will have some team news for you ahead of the 7 o'clocks in the Premier League in a few moments' time. There's also the small matter of loads of rugby for us to get excited about as well. Uh, start of a brand new Super Rugby season, start of a brand new Betfred Super League season and uh, the Sevens down in Sydney plus the return of the Six Nations. The Guinness Six Nations, I think, it's grown year on year. I know you hear it all, all the time about how competitive it gets and how much bigger it gets. Uh, it does, it, it grows year on year and the anticipation of the fans, the expectation and yeah, it's, it's just everything... You want it to be having been a child or a teenager watching uh, the competition and how to be involved is really, really special. It's just one of those tournaments where the, the timing seems to be perfect. You know, you, you get Christmas, New Year out of the way and then everyone starts to look forward to the Six Nations. And, and I think, um, you know, the fact that the countries are so close together, you, you can get crowds on the day that, that aren't sort of 80-20. It's a, you get a bigger proportion of opposition crowd uh, than you would in other parts of the world, and I think that makes it special because it, it gives a, a, a fantastic atmosphere on game day. The rivalry of it, um, how, how close it is all together and, and how tough a tournament it is at the same time. Um, it's, always, it's always been that way ever since I can remember, and uh, I don't see that changing in time soon. Six countries all... Uh, geographically close to each other, historical ties, rugby ties that date back to some of the first games of rugby that's ever been played, and the intenseness of the competition between those teams. C'est les meilleurs moments, c'est là où il y a le plus d'émotions, donc forcément c'est excitant de pouvoir participer en tant que capitaine aux Six Nations. Il y a des sports, et dans le rugby, il y a le tournoi des Nations qui est une compétition. Get nervous straight away. I'm as nervous as I was the first time I called in, so it's a it's a special special championship. The camaraderie uh, throughout the competition is is something that's unique and special. Everyone looks forward to a, a big old competition. There's none better than this one. As you get the chance to play against some of the best international teams in the world. You get to play against, you know, like Ireland and England and Wales, France, Italy, like how unbelievable teams with world-class talent uh, across every single team. So it's exactly why you picked up a ball as a kid. This tournament has been played for over 100 years. The events themselves are huge, sell-out crowds. Um, the rugby world stops on those weekends and the sporting world as well. The atmosphere, the play for your country, for your own country, yeah, it's an unbelievable competition with so much tradition, so much, um, uh, so many good players have gone through the ranks. I honestly believe that it's uh, one of the best uh, competitions in the world, or probably the best competition in the world, and uh, obviously with the most tradition. Uh, well, the competition is underway. The anthems have been sung, uh, and it is Wales who are entertaining Italy down in Cardiff at the moment. Things are going well for Wales. They certainly are, yes. Wales 14, Italy nil. Josh Adams just gone over for the first try of the game. That followed a hat-trick of penalties by Dan Bigar. Obviously, Wales uh, marking somewhat of a new era. Warren Gatland has now gone. Wayne Pivak, the ex-Scarlets coach, is now in charge of the uh, Welsh Dragons. They're opening up the Six Nations this 
this year over in the uh, Millennium Stadium. Like I say, off to a good start. It's uh, 18 minutes in, Wales 14, Italy nil. And I think it's going to be quite an interesting Six Nations, yeah. this one. Obviously, the post-World Cup hangover, so to speak. I think we've got four new coaches out of the yeah. six teams. It's a bit, bit of a, I don't know, I want to say strange feeling for the tournament, I'd say. Just a lot at, at stake, really. I mean, exactly as you say, a lot of people coming back from those World Cup reputations. Uh, how will England bounce back from that bit of disappointment in their final? They've named a, a couple of debutantes in their starting 15. To travel, you know, any team travelling over to Paris to play France as your opener in the Six Nations is tough. I'm really looking forward to seeing France. I know year on year we talk about which France turns up and it really sort of depends uh, which of Les Bleus decides to turn up this time. You look at the way that the, the French players are playing in the top 14. You look at the way the top 14 is dominating Northern Hemisphere rugby. Uh, and you look at the talent they've got. If their management structure, their new management structure of, of France, are able to give those exciting young players the license to go out there and play the type of rugby that they're playing in the top 14 at the moment, I think France could be a real contender this year for the Six Nations. And do you think as well there's added pressure on England ahead of this yeah. opening game tomorrow night as well? Obviously the, the manner in which they lost the World Cup final after that you know, historic victory over the All Blacks in the semis. Eddie Jones still in place there but you know, I think I've, I've seen a few grumbles from England yeah. fans about, about the team and you know, kind of a few players maybe arguably playing out of position perhaps and so on but you know, it's, it's a big game tomorrow night. Huge game for them and it'd be fascinating to see and a game that you know, I think Eddie if ever he were to admit to, to to his flaws, would not have fancied. You know, of all the places you don't want to be going for your first opener, well, you have to prove a point is over to France with a very unpredictable French side uh, to to take on. But back to your point as well of of a, a new era for Six Nations rugby. And we heard there from Alan Wynne Jones talking about the fact that yeah, yeah, we say year on year it gets bigger and better, but it really is getting bigger and better by the quality of players that are coming into it. And this year is even more fascinating given the fact that we've got these new eras for a lot of the teams. Wayne Pivak, as you mentioned, for Wales. I mean, can anyone remember the last time that Wales weren't coached by Warren Gatland? Uh, the fact that Andy Farrell, you know, a man, Fazza, who, who, who did so much for England rugby, is now the man over in charge for, 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 the, for, for the Irish at the moment, along with Mike Catt, you know, a World Cup winner for England. Uh, Sean Edwards, a former Great Britain Rugby League great, who did so much with Welsh rugby and with British and Irish Lions rugby and with Fazza as well, is over with the French rugby at the moment. So they got so many sort of things going on with the tournament. Fascinating at the moment, but good to see that Wales have sort of put their marker down from the off. Let's hear from Alan Wynne-Jones now, the Welsh captain ahead of the tournament. 2026 Nations uh, having the captaincy is, is pretty special, I think, um, with the new management group. Um, I'm very well aware um, you don't know how long you're going to be in the jersey, let alone um, have a captaincy. So to um, have the, the faith from Wayne and the management group for the transition is, is, is a, a huge uh, tip of the cap and um, you know, something I'm relishing. The Guinness Six Nations, I think it's grown year on year. I know you hear it all, all the time about how competitive it gets and how much bigger it gets. Uh, it does, it, it grows year on year and the anticipation of the fans, the expectation, it's just everything you want it to be having been a child or a teenager watching uh, the competition and how to be involved is really, really special. The question is, is it easy to win it back-to-back -back or harder to win it a second time? I don't know, I'll have to let you know at the end of the Six Nations, but to do it again uh, with the changes we have in the squad, um, at squad level and at management level would be massive, so uh, hopefully we can and watch this space. 
Yeah, do come watch your Six Nations Rugby live down here at Barasti, where the game is always on. Yet focus on the Premier League in the brand new Beer King fan zone down here, Barasti, with opportunities to win all sorts of great prizes, courtesy of uh, a very well-known uh, football-related brand which I'm not going to talk about too much on air. Uh, but get yourself down here, have a look at the fan zone, and you'll have a good idea about that. We heard from one of the captains that's in action at the moment, the sort of timeless Alan Wynne-Jones there. Uh, what about his opponent today, uh, the new uh, uh, captain uh, of the Italian national team, Luca Bigi? A huge honour represent my country and I'm excited. It's yeah, a really privilege. We, all, we all always play for win. We don't want just to be competitive. We, we have a new things coming from the new coaches, the new staff. We, we want to be the best uh, that we can be of ourselves. And this is what Franco asked us. Be confident and perform well without pressure. We try to play the best as you can and work hard, really hard. He asked us to, to work very, very hard. And uh, this is the, the few goals that we put uh, in um, in the room with the, with, with, the, with the team and focus on this. It is that way. It is Wales who are, um, well, they're, they're, they are dominating at the moment. Wales leading Italy. Still 14? It still certainly is 14 nil, and it's basically all, all Wales, really. Italy have barely gotten out of their half so far. Like I say, that hat-trick of penalties from Dan Bigar and that uh, try in the 18th minute from Josh Adams as well. It was a brilliant up and under by uh, Halfpenny. Surged upfield, claimed his own kick in quite determined fashion as well. It led to an attacking scrum for Wales. They gave up a free kick to Italy for an early engagement uh, then Josh Adams got over in the corner for Wales on that one Ireland taking on Scotland this evening at 8.45 that's live down here at Brasti if you want to watch it a couple of results to bring you from earlier on today Sunwolves uh, beating the Melbourne Rebels in Super Rugby by 36 points to 27 Crusaders beating the Waratahs 43 to 25 and the Stormers are storming it against the Canes at the moment 22 points to nil England play against France in Paris tomorrow afternoon, 7 o'clock kick-off there. So a lot for us to get excited about, Matt Fortune. Yeah, indeed. Certainly on the pitch, but the, the thing that's really caught my eye, Tom, is, is some of the off-the-field incidences, and I'm sure you're excited to, to talk about this. And I did note one of the uh, the former players, well, he's still a current player, defending Finn Russell after his controversial <laughs> outing, shall we call it, night out. I'm just going to read you the summation of what he's done. He's ignored teammates' advice to go out drinking, hit the bar, He's ignored his alarm clock and failed to turn up for training the following morning. And then, as all modern sports stars tend to do, liked tweets that basically gives his opinion without him giving it himself. Tell us where we stand on that one. Yeah, I mean, you can't, you cannot justify what Finn Russell did. Um, there is a suggestion that, you know, he's had a really tough season uh, in the top 40 at the moment where he has been pulling up trees mm. in the top 14 he's one of these standout players he's been twice named a player of the month in the top 14 which is no mean feat given the extraordinary talent that you got in the top 14 Finn Russell doing what he does for his club over in the top 14 at the moment um, is one of the best fly halves in the world at present uh, on current form that is to then sort of go back home what was it was it just was it was it was it attitude or was it him just getting overexcited you know we've all been to weddings haven't we we get <laughs> very excited on the first night and ignore all the advice that we're given etc um, was there an element of that well, regardless of what it was he seemed to have gone above and beyond the thing that 
that, that really upsets me about it is his reaction since then. You know, rather than sticking out with the team, trying to build bridges, trying to make amends, trying to sit down with Gregor Townsend and see, OK, how can we go through? Because the letter of the law, all he's been dropped for so far, or all he's not been disconsidered to so far, is this opening game against Ireland yeah. this evening. He's still part of their plans, but he needs to make that impetus. He needs to make that move. The fact that he got on the plane straight away, headed back to France, to be um, with his family uh, in France didn't send the right message to me and Scotland will miss him. It shows an enormous lack of respect. I think it, it, it's a team sport ultimately and it doesn't matter if you're the best player in the team, in the squad, the player that can make the big difference for you. It's a complete lack of respect. You have to hold your hands up. The player I was referencing who has uh, almost come out in defence is Danny Cipriani, yeah. a man who's, who's liable to the odd controversial moment throughout his career and he has said that players often step up after controversy but I think it's a difference between stepping up when you're just given a free ride and actually stepping up by holding your hands up not stepping up as a player stepping up as a person and that certainly isn't what Finn Russell has done it it's, seems. it's bad for Scotland as well because obviously key international experience international on top of his game at the moment a man that could have pulled the strings for Scotland now they've got to rely on a very very inexperienced fly half uh, from the in the international fold to to step up for them in this opening game let's just hope it gets sorted by the end uh, of the Six Nations Lots of talking points for the Six Nations. We'll get back to those in just a little while. There is another event ongoing at the moment as well when it comes to rugby. It's the Sevens. It's the uh, Sevens down in Sydney. Uh, Hamilton Sevens last weekend. Sydney Sevens today. We had day one of action today in both the men's and the women's draws. Uh, that game was concluded, uh, Benj, by the Fiji-New Zealand game. Fiji taking on New Zealand in the final of the group games today. New Zealand have been, well, they've been brilliant so far this season the sevens uh, uh, could they continue to do so today uh, in the opening day of action no not against the resurgent Fiji penalty Fiji they want to come back and they want to come back quick Buckaroon and Billy Buckaroon and Billy holding it up for Tui Mamba stands and delivers for Tuai Blatha Blatha, Darren Alungi has more than a thungy out this way. And that's the direction to our heads now. Blatha looking to angle across and now release more for the thungy on the delayed switch. He leapt out of the tackle of Collier. Two misses, two tries for Fiji. Here's the turnover. Portiti over the ball. Makuru Nabuli is the one that's actually going to get the turnover. They take it quickly. Don't allow New Zealand to set defensively. And they're getting halfway through holes. The defence of New Zealand is spread, not connected, and Mortham Othangi goes through. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Tweet the team at Dubai Eye Sport. Dubai Eye 103.8. Thanks so much indeed for joining us. If you are just joining us for the first time, what are you doing? Get yourself down here to Barasti. We have got loads to get involved in this evening, be it tennis, be it your rugby, be it your uh, uh, be it football, uh, and much, much more. There are all sorts of sports stories to talk about and lots of live sport for you. In fact, we've had some already. Uh, Danny Norton, Premier League, earlier on this afternoon. Result? Yes, result was Leicester City to Chelsea to spirited performance by the Foxes. They missed out on a place in the League Cup final in midweek, of course, but they got themselves up for this one. No doubt about that. As for Chelsea as well, Chelsea started really, really well. Both teams going for the jugular, so to speak. And, uh, and Leicester means they go into the uh, inaugural winter break. They will be two points 
points behind um, second place Man City at least. One win in five games for Chelsea who stay fourth, seven points ahead of Manchester United who of course play in the game later on tonight. They host uh, they host Wolves at Old Trafford. But yeah, it was a, a back and forth game uh, between Leicester and Chelsea. Um, we had a bit of controversy late on in the game as well, didn't we? Harvey Barnes picking up the ball brilliantly inside his own half and on a superb run, attempted a cross which brushed the back of Antonio Rudiger's hand. Yeah. Uh, Antonio Rudiger scored uh, both of Chelsea's goals, by the way. The second one, a superb effort. Um, but Leicester wanted a penalty. VAR did look at it, the video assistant referee, but deemed that it was accidental. I know the three of us here watching it and my feeling was it could well have been given because there's an argument that it could have been in a bit of an unnatural position. So Rudiger's hand basically just kind of behind himself with his his, his fingertips yeah. just kind of flickering out from behind his back, deflected the ball away. I'm not too sure about you guys, but I think the Foxes can be a little bit hard done by by that one. We've seen them given already, haven't we? It's, yeah. It's exactly the same phrase I had in my head. <laughs> File that one under, seen it given. Yeah. Not quite sure. You're absolutely right, Danny. It did appear when slowed down that he had moved his arm somewhat. I think it would have been harsh. I think it happened against your team, you'd be annoyed. If it happened not for your team, you'd be annoyed as well at the same time you hadn't got it. Absolutely. But, I mean, Harvey Barnes, anyway, getting the uh, first goal uh, for Leicester. He equalised after Antonio Rudiger uh, put Chelsea ahead in the first minutes of the second half. Then Ben Chilwall uh, popped up from left-back to give Leicester uh, a 2-1 lead before Rudiger's uh, second goal in the 71st minute. And then a few minutes later came my commentator's curse, where I guaranteed there'd be a winner. It didn't come, but there's plenty of action nevertheless anyway. Indeed there is. Granada have taken the points against Espanyol in the early kickoff over in Spain. Uh, in La Liga, we've got the Madrid derby to look forward to at 7 o'clock this evening. Uh, what, four minutes away from that one? And it was Brentford that took the points against Hull, wasn't it? They did indeed, Tom, after a, a disappointing January for Hull City. And Brentford, who we spoke about at length last week, they continue their march towards the Premier League. Perfect timing as they plan to move into a new stadium within the next 18 months. They ran out 5-1 winners. Have we got action from the Bundesliga, Dan? We certainly do, yes. And Borussia Dortmund are hosting Union Berlin. They are two goals up, uh, 27 minutes played. Jadon Sancho opening the scoring on 30 minutes. And then surprise, surprise, that man making his debut. Erling Brot Haaland getting the second in the 18th minute. I saw a funny kind of a, a prediction earlier on on The Guardian saying that if he maintains his goals per minute ratio since he made the move to Germany, obviously scored a hat-trick, I think, in his debut, got two goals off the bench last weekend. Uh, so the Guardian predicts that he's going to score seven times before <laughs> being substituted to a standing ovation in the 84th minute. But he's off to a good start on that one. Uh, let's get to the Premier League for you. We will uh, work through team news for you uh, just after the seven o'clock kickoff. So many games for us to feature uh, first and foremost. Though let's go to Villa first. Uh, well, sorry, let's go to Bournemouth where Villa are in action. I just want to uh, play a little clip from um, the new the fascinating part about. Uh, today's football is the opportunity hopefully for a number of fans to see their new men if you like uh, those results from uh, what was a frantic transfer window at the end of proceedings new man down at villa is boya ba uh, baston I, I don't know anything about him so let's hear from the man himself i am very happy to to shine for for aston villa it's, it's a big club i am excited just give us an idea of today. It's a crazy day. But when did you find out about the interest from Aston Villa? Have you spoken to Dean Smith at all? It was a, a very, very hard day, very, very crazy day. But uh, I spoke with, with Suso in the morning, and then he, he spoke with, with, uh, with Swansea. And for, for luck, he's, he's, all he's done. Yeah, and an easy decision for you. Premier League club, big club. 
Yeah, yeah, yes. For me, it's a, it's a great option. It's a, one of the big options. Yeah, I'm so happy. Tell Aston Villa fans, what can they expect to see from you? What will you give to this team? Uh, I want to say I want to, to work hard every every day in the training ground, in the in the games, and I, I hope to score another goal for, for the team. And the more important is the Aston Villa stay in the Premier League in the, in the next year. And in four weeks' time, you could be playing at Wembley in a cup final. Yeah, I am ready. Yeah, I am ready. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah, a lot. A lot. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's uh, really, I can tell you're excited and a new chapter for you. You feel as if you can score goals in the Premier League, you can prove a point. It's, it's, it's an honour for, 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 for Aston Villa and the Premier League. It's, it's amazing for me, it's amazing. Matt Fortune, you've pulled the away straw this week. So Aston Villa, how do they line up? I have indeed, but unfortunately, Tom, without Bordia Baston, he hasn't <laughs> he hasn't signed on time. A little bit of background on him. I was just reading up because I, like you, I knew a little bit about him. I knew that he played in Spain. I knew that he'd had a good season at Swansea so far. But he was actually in the 2015-16 season in La Liga, the highest scorer with 18 goals. Really? Yeah, incredible. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. He's not he, playing. He doesn't, he doesn't play. <laughs> but there is a little bit of history uh, down at Bournemouth today for Villa. Mbwana Samata plays and he becomes the first Tanzanian to play in the Premier League which I thought was quite interesting and there was a lovely little story he played for Villa in the cup win over Leicester earlier this week and he tw- he posted a video uh, and some uh, on his Twitter feed that I'm going to estimate is about 50,000 people in his hometown of Dar es Salaam around a big screen watching this. It's absolutely phenomenal. The video is great. Check out his Instagram. His Instagram is samagoal77. He's tweeted beautiful scenes from my hometown watching my debut on the big screen. I mean, honestly, you cannot see where the people stop in front of this TV. It's almost as busy as Barasti. He's playing, is he? <laughs> and he is playing okay. indeed. So I'll take you through the team. Pepe Reina in goal, of course, the former Liverpool keeper, one of those January signings at Villa Park. They have a back three of Erzy Konza, Courtney House and Tyrone Mings, three English players there holding together a back five. Matt Target and Frederick Gilbert are either side of them. Douglas Luiz and Mkamba, they make up the base of midfield. And then that front three of Jack Grealish, Amor Al-Ghazi and the man I mentioned, Mbwana Samata. There was concern that Bournemouth might lose a couple of their key players in the window. Didn't really transpire, Danny Norton? No, absolutely not. I mean, they couldn't afford to anyway. When you look at their injury list, quite lengthy it is at the moment. Like so Brooks, Daniels, Kings, Stanislas, all out. Amongst others as well in what a game is... If you'll allow me a cliche, a relegation six-pointer, no <laughs> doubt as well. Bournemouth finally ending that dreadful run they've been on uh, with that win over Brighton last time out. And there's just one change to that 3-1 victory with uh, Dominic Solanke dropping to the bench, Dan Gosling coming into midfield. So it's Ramsdale in goal, Smith, Francis, Ake and Rico the back four. Gosling, Lerma and Billing the three across the middle with Harry Wilson and Ryan Fraser either side of Callum Wilson. Uh, we'll have uh, all the goals for you throughout the course of the evening. Keep it locked here on Dubai I-103.8. We're going to take another short break. Not, though, before we've heard from Ari. Uh, Ari Redknapp's been in town. In fact, I think he's probably still in town at the moment. Son himself here in Dubai. He was uh, in the studios earlier on this week. He was down at the races on Thursday night. He's been doing all sorts over here. But he's also made time uh, to speak to the team back in the, the United Kingdom about the transfer window yesterday. Uh, his thoughts uh, about Josh King were asked during this particular um, interview. Did he do it out of a car window, Tom? He didn't, mate. He did it in a very palatial back garden. Of course he which did. Which he claimed was his own, obviously. Uh, Josh King, obviously part of that conversation. Josh King uh, at Bournemouth at the moment, remains at Bournemouth after that transfer window, despite much speculation. Uh, he's a good player, Josh King. I mean, he was at Man, he was at Man United at one time. 
Um, so he's been at the club before. I mean, he would be a big loss to Bournemouth. I mean, you know, King's been a big player for Bournemouth the last couple of years. He's got pace, power, he's got skill. He can score goals. I think he's a real good player. This is the window for a striker. We know there are a lot of Premier League clubs looking for strikers. Another one that is on the lips of so many fans is Olivier Giroud. We're expecting him to move on deadline day. Where do you think would suit him? Spurs maybe, Manchester United even, or a team in Italy? Oh, well, listen, Spurs would be a great move for him. You know, if he, if he went to Tottenham, they're looking at the moment. Harry's injured, Harry Kane, so he would probably go into their team. They'd probably have to change their style a little bit, you know. He's, he's um, you know, he's not going to be running channels or playing, you know, the type of movement that Harry played. You know, with ball slipped up the side. They'd have to get the ball in the box to him to be effective. But there's no reason they can't do that. I mean, Oliver Giroud is a Olivier Giroud is a top player, World Cup winner. So, yeah, he'd be a good signing. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.